Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning, good morning. How are you? Yeah? Um, before we start, well, before we start, I, I quickly want to do something. We have a wonderful woman with us who's been with us here in Northern Ireland and with our church family for the last few months. She's from the Ukraine. She has been with a host family for the last few months, and she feels God calling her back to the Ukraine. And she will be leaving here on Friday, and I would like all of us to pray for her. There's a real sense this morning that as a church family, as a body of believers, that we are to send her, to bless her, to cover her in prayer. Will you do that with me this morning? Will you all stand with me? Her friends that are around her are going to lay hands on her and pray for her, but will you guys just agree with me this morning? Her name is Luba. Uh, pray for her this morning and continue to pray for her. Father, we, we bless this she is. We bless Luba in the name of Jesus. We thank you for her life. We thank you for the call that you have on her. We thank you for the way that you have been speaking to her, that you have been restoring her, healing her, and Father, we thank you now that you are sending her. That you have filled her with hope and the fruits of the Spirit. And now, Father, as she goes back to Ukraine, we pray that she will sense the kingdom of heaven with her. Father, we know that you go before her. You have made a way already. You have cleared a path. And we bless her to go with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day to everyone. Well, to everyone. Well, if, <laughs> I don't know. I think I say to everyone because I'm like, if you have a mother, happy Mother's Day to you. You know how important they are. Um, did you know that in the U.S. and the U.K., Mother's Day doesn't fall on the same day? And so what that means for me is that in the very rare year where my family fails to adequately celebrate me on the UK Mother's Day, it's okay because they have a do-over in May where I can, you know, make my notes and critiques and task them to do it again. It's great. You should all do it. I, I highly recommend celebrating both. And this talk this morning, this sermon is not about Mother's Day, but as I was, um, I got up this morning, I was thinking about a friend of mine, um, and actually, uh, Julie uh, McConaughey and I, we share this friend, and her name is Pauline, and I remember um, one Sunday coming to church one Sunday evening, and Pauline is in the professional, she works in a care home for the elderly, 
And Pauline is one of those people where it's not just a job, it's like a vocation. She loved it. And uh, she came in one night, and I could tell she had been at work because she was sort of in her work clothes. And she was just sort of chuckling to herself. And I said, Pauline, what's so funny? And she goes, Dana, I just had the funniest wee conversation with one of my, she used to call him one of my wee friends at the home. And I said, well, what did she say? She said, I walked in, and this wee friend was just euphoric, just so happy, just in a great mood. And she said to her, this wee friend was over 100 years old, by the way. And she said to her, here, why are you in such a good mood? What's going on with you? And she said, oh, Pauline, Pauline, I can finally die in peace. Die in peace. Pauline says, what's going on? Why, why can you now finally die in peace? And she goes, I just got my last son in his retirement home. Oh, my gosh. And our, Pauline told me that, and I had the strangest sensation to both laugh and cry at the same time, because I had a newborn. And I thought to myself, you know, they tell you it only lasts for 18 years, but you were never not someone's mother. Oh, my gosh. But uh, for all of you who are celebrating Mother's Day today, I wanted to read something to you that I read to myself every once in a while to remind myself what it is I'm actually doing in this job of trying to care for other people. This is a quote from Mirabai Star from a book called Wild Mercy. She says, to be someone's mother is to die again and again. Die to who you thought you were and who you hoped you would become. Die to your cherished notions of what a child of yours should look like, sound like, behave like. Die to your illusions of control. Control of your own emotions, control of your child's experiences. And in proportion to your many deaths, you will be blessed with endless resurrections. You will rise radiant from the flames of what you thought was the end of the world and your child will rise luminous from the ashes of your heirs. Isn't that beautiful? So be blessed this Mother's Day. Now, can I get you to stand with me one more time as we open the Word of God together? If you can and if you are able, please stand to your feet. We are in the book of Genesis. Grab a Bible. Uh, there should be some around your chairs if you don't have one. I don't know the page we're on, but Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so it's one of the easier ones to find, and we're in chapter 18. I'll give you a, a moment to find that. Genesis chapter 18, we'll be starting at verse 1. Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 1, we find ourselves at the home of Abraham and Sarah. Says the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. 
Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seers of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set those before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said to him, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did. Amen. Have a seat. Isn't that funny? Sometimes I find the Bible so funny, like... At the end, she said she didn't, but then he said she did. You know. A few things stand out to me here in this portion of Scripture. One of them is the appearance of the Lord. Did you catch that? The Lord appeared to Abraham. And when he came... There were three men. Now, a little bit of a tiny theology lesson here, right? Theologians agree that this was an appearance of God in the form of man. And most of them agree that the other two men were probably angels. Because if you follow this story through through the rest of uh, Genesis 18... These men were actually on the way to somewhere else to handle some of the Lord's business in Sodom. And so when there's an instance in the Old Testament where God appears in the form of a man, they call this a theophany. But when more specifically Jesus appears in the form of a man, they call it a Christophany. Theophany or Christophany, they don't know which one this one is, but they agree God visited Abraham in the form of a man and brought two others with him. And these were the three that showed up here today, today, that day. The second thing that sort of stood out to me was Abraham seemed to know that these weren't just regular people. It seems in the story that he was very aware that this was a heavenly visitation. There was the bowing low to the ground, the insistence on extreme levels of hospitality. He seemed to know. And if you caught this, Sarah, like any good wife, is standing at the door listening. Because you know they never tell us the details, honestly. 
So you have to go and you have to listen yourself to figure out what's going on. So if Abraham knew, there's a good chance that Sarah knew that these were heavenly visitors. And the third thing that stood out to me was the laugh. Sarah's reaction to the news was to laugh. Now, most of the time when I speak here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, I don't name my sermons, which is shameful from the standpoint of being a black American, because you see, in black American sort of preacher tradition, the sermon is the most important, uh, the, the title is the most important part of the sermon. But today, I'm making my people proud, and I have named the sermon. Would you like to know what the name of the sermon is? The name of today's sermon is Get Your Hopes Up. Get your hopes up. I love living in Northern Ireland. I love it. I genuinely could live in nearly any other place in the world. I choose to live here. It's a good place. It's wonderful. I adore the people. I love the pace of life. I love the sense of community. I love it here. But one of the things I really, really love about Northern Ireland, I just feel like you guys get me on a deep level that I was never understood in my home country. I feel like when I moved here, I entered a space with like kindred spirits. Cause you know, like in the States, there's this, um, how would I describe it? Like aggressive optimism. Do you know what I mean? It's grading almost. It's a little bit like, mm. and it's, everything could be going dreadfully wrong and you ask an American, how's your day? Fantastic. <laughs> and it almost feels a wee bit sometimes when you're in that culture and you're sort of saturated in it, you feel like you're living a, the real life story of the emperor's new clothes a little bit. And you're like, are we all having the same life experience here? Are we all watching the same news? But not here, not here in Northern Ireland. <laughs> the first time that I actually experienced um, that feeling of camaraderie and being understood on a really deep level was years ago when I, when I first moved here, I was a newlywed and we uh, were visiting Andrew's Nana. And we were leaving Nana's house, and we had, there was a plan for the following Sunday that we were having a big Sunday lunch with the whole family. So I knew I would see Nana in a few days. So appropriately, I, when I was leaving Nana, I said, all right, Nana, I'll see you Sunday for Sunday lunch. You know, just as you do. And what I expected was for Nana to say, yep, see you Sunday, pet. Have a good weekend, right? Normal interaction. That is not what Nana said, okay? 
I said, see you Sunday for Sunday lunch. And I'm all smiling, ah, all the teeth showing. And Nana looked at me, sort of deadpan, and she goes, all being well. <laughs> and in that moment, I knew I was home. I was like, yes, finally someone gets it. You know, and here in Northern Ireland, we are not going to count our chickens before they hatch. I said that in the first service, and Andrew said to me, in Northern Ireland, we're not even sure it's the chickens who lay the eggs yet. <laughs> and, and some folks may, may call us pessimist, but I, I just call us careful. We're very careful, aren't we? Very thoughtful. You don't have to spend a lot of time here in this sweet country to see that Northern Irish people do know deeply and understand the fragility of life. That so many of us have found out in sometimes very painful ways that life is not fair and that we aren't special. Don't tell that to an American. So we're very careful with our hope. We're not frivolous with our hope. We just don't go spending it everywhere extravagantly. We budget it. We ration it. Sometimes we bury it. Because the reality is, there is not much in this human experience that is as painful as the death of hope. Some of you know what I mean here this morning. You've walked through that. The death of hope. Sarah, in this story, she knew that very well. We read through stories like this and, and we forget to really take some time and truly understand the context and, and what's happening here. And it's because we know the ending that we kind of read it and don't appreciate what was going on in the story. But let's walk through this a little bit. Sarah, by the time the Lord showed up to Sarah and Abraham's house. Sarah was an elderly woman. Elderly. Not older. Not middle-aged. Elderly. She had already lived a whole lifetime with the identity of the barren one ascribed to her. That's how she would have been known in their community. She had been a young girl, newly married, full of hope, full of expectation of what life was going to look like for her. And then slowly she watched that hope die month after month when no baby was conceived. 
Infertility today is a profoundly difficult road. We all know that. And for Sarah, the personal loss month after month was intensified even further by the fact that in the time where she was living as a woman to get married and produce children was your only purpose. It was your only value. So Sarah spent her childbearing years walking into rooms and sensing the stairs and hearing the whispers and feeling the pity and the discomfort that her presence, even just her presence, brought into a room, reliving the heartbreak every time, every month, every new baby. But now... In Genesis 18, we find an elderly Sarah. I would imagine that in her old age, she at least had the relief of knowing it was done. The hope was dead. There was no way. The door had been closed. She could stop hoping month after month, holding her breath. She could stop having her heart broken every single time it was done. Sarah in Genesis 18 had gone through menopause. It was done. She knew, she knew now that she wouldn't carry a child and she knew now that she could let down or, or let go of the weight of the expectation that society had put on her because now she was elderly she was old she was waiting for the end she had finally been able to bury the hope lay it to rest it was over That is the emotional state that Sarah was in when the Lord and his two cronies showed up in Genesis 18. What's really interesting about this story is the Lord did not take on flesh in this moment in order to come and tell Sarah that she was going to have a baby. They were on their way to someplace else. They were on their way to deliver a judgment to Sodom. They were passing through. And Abraham says, come to my house. Come, let me feed you. And as an afterthought, it almost feels like, I said, where's Sarah? Tell her this time next year, She's going to have a son. How would you feel? You know how Sarah felt? She laughed. And I don't think she laughed like, ha, 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 oh my gosh, 
What a great joke. I don't get the feeling that was the laugh. Um, listen, if you've ever lived with a woman, you know the laugh I'm talking about, right? It's like the laugh, like you're laughing, but I feel like I should leave the room. <laughs> you're laughing, but I don't feel safe. Do you know what I mean? If you've ever had a mom laugh at you like, <laughs> oh, oh, you just going to leave the dishes, huh? <laughs> you know the kind of laugh I'm talking about. It's not an invitation to laugh with them. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a like, danger is, is here. I get the feeling that that's where Sarah was laughing from. She was laughing from a place of bitterness. It was a sarcastic laugh. It's funny because actually what she says is really sarcastic. She says to him, um, so after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, now you're going to give me the pleasure of having a son. I think we think that if we were in Sarah's shoes and we had this hope, this desire for something, and then heavenly visitors came to our house, you would think that Sarah would be like, give me what I want, please. Or at least when they said, this is what's going to happen, that she would be overjoyed. But she was bothered. She's like, I finally found a place of peace. You told this man years ago that his descendants were going to be as many as the stars in the sky. And we waited and we waited and we waited and nothing. And finally, I'm old and I found a place of peace. And here you come trying to drag my hope out from the place where I buried it. I don't imagine it actually felt that good. Have you ever felt worn out by hope? You see, Sarah's hope had perimeters. It had boundaries. It was contingent on a certain set of circumstances being just right. So when those circumstances were no longer the right atmosphere, for this hope, the hope was gone. It made me think of another story. In the book of John, chapter 11, John takes actually quite a long time when you look at the Gospels and how quickly the stories are told in the Gospels. He takes quite a long time to tell us about Lazarus. Now, Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. And not only just Lazarus, but Lazarus had two sisters who were also really good friends with Jesus. Besties. I don't know about you, but I have really good friends who do really cool jobs. Uh, some of them are things like doctors or whatever. And when something's wrong, I'm like, call so-and-so. Do you know what I mean? And because they're your friend, you kind of have this expectation. They're going to care about you. They're going to see about you. They're going to have a little bit extra effort for you because of the relationship. And so Lazarus gets sick, very sick. 
the kind of sickness that is going to kill you. And so his sisters said to the servant, you go and you get Jesus. Tell him to come because Lazarus is sick. They fully expected Jesus to hightail it to their house. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus gets the message, and it says he just stuck around where he was for another two days, just, you know, hanging about. That's genuinely the feeling you get when you read the story. Jesus just stayed where he was for two days. Two days later, he starts the journey to Lazarus' house. By the time he gets to Lazarus' house, Lazarus is dead. Okay? Fully dead. Like, things are starting to smell dead. Okay? Now, the other day my mother phoned me and she said, you're never going to believe what happened. And I said, what? In the black church in America, once you reach a certain age and you're a female in the church, you get to be known as one of the mothers of the church. Okay? And uh, this particular mother, Mother Ethna, Oh, again, over 100 years old, um, died. So they came, the ambulance came and got Mother Ethna. Everyone's sad because they, she's so loved in the church. Word got around. They take her to the hospital. She gets into the hands of the coroner. The coroner is about to start doing what coroners do. I don't even know what they do. I don't know what they do. My kids asked me the other day, and I was like, I don't know. But whatever they do, he's about to start it. And he finds out Mother Ethna isn't dead. A faint, like, what do you call that thing? Pulse. Don't ever ask me to help you if you're in medical trouble. <laughs> A faint pulse. She's not dead. They're about to put her in the icebox and everything. That was not what happened with Lazarus. Lazarus was dead all the way. So much so that they had wrapped him up, put him in the tomb. He's dead. Jesus gets there. I find this interesting. The women obviously know the man has supernatural powers. They don't say, Jesus, quick! Do your resurrection -y thingy. They don't say that. Their hope had perimeters to it, had boundaries. They had enough hope for healing. They did not have hope for resurrection. So when Jesus showed up, what they said to him was, nice to finally see you. Great, you could finally make it. Where were you? We sent for you. We called for you. Where were you? Now, Jesus weeps with them, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. But I find it really interesting, the Father's relationship to our hope and the boundaries of our hope. Do you see like a common thread here in those two stories? The people in the story, for them, it was over. It was over. It was done. 
hope had died. Hope was no longer inappropriate because look at the circumstances. This past week, Andrew invited me to a, a coffee that he had been invited to. He said, come, you'll enjoy this. You'll find this really interesting. He said, the Archbishop of Rwanda is here in Northern Ireland, and um, we're just going to have coffee with him, us and a few other people, and just hear his story. And so I thought, uh, yeah, okay. So I, I showed up at this coffee shop, and I sat there with a group of people whilst this man shared his story and the story of Rwanda. Now, if you remember, I, in 94, I was very young, but I can remember the story of the genocide that happened in Rwanda in 94. In that, I remember news being on in the background. I remember adults talking. But what I remember more than anything is I remember the sense of hopelessness. And I remember thinking, it's over for them. That's, that's what happened. You don't come back from that. That's it. Even as a child, I understood that on some sort of deep level. And this man started to talk to us about the work of healing and restoration and reconciliation that is happening on a national level in Rwanda. Where people from the two different tribes, one tribe tried to wipe out another tribe. These people are now meeting together, living life together, weeping together, confessing together, offering forgiveness together, and creating for themselves a new national identity that holds all of them. They have a saying, and I, I, I can't say it in the native tongue, but it translates to, we are Rwandan. And as this man was speaking, you guys, I was having such a strange experience. It was like I was having two different experiences within my body. One side of me was saying, oh, there's hope for Northern Ireland. I mean, if it can happen for them, it can happen for us. Maybe, maybe we don't just have to tolerate each other. Maybe, maybe we will be a country where we celebrate one another, where we can talk freely and, and say our story and finally move forward together. And the other part of me, I promise you, said to that hope, sit down. Here are all the reasons it will never happen here. Hope is serious business. We turn it into some sort of cartoon word, like a bubble word, like a kitty word. Hope is dangerous. And I sense that here in this room, there are many of us 
who have experienced the death of hope. We are like Sarah. We have finally found a way to reconcile the sense of disappointment, failure of being failed. And all we want to do is just live out, just let me just live out my life in this little bit of peace I've carved out for myself. And here comes the Lord and his cronies saying, get your hopes up. It's almost as if I have this memory. I, w I, because of this, I intentionally in my life, <laughs> if you've ever been in my house in the morning, okay, I am not like the most mommy of mothers, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm very much like, get up, you're not hurt kind of thing. But there's one thing that I do that's really sort of like Mary Poppinsy, and it's because of the way I grew up. When I go to wake up my children in the morning, I'm always like, I, hi, darling. I don't turn on lights. I rub their back. Hi, it's morning time. How you doing? Oh, it's so lovely. And I just really gentle, because I know from experience that being woken up in any other way is very traumatic. <laughs> My mother thought it appropriate every morning to like kick through my door, boom, <laughs> right? Get up, are you still sleeping? Curtains, just not like curtains drawn, curtains, I don't even know how the curtains stayed on the wall. I need help. I should probably see someone about it. It, it still angers me to this day. But when I was praying for us this week and I heard the Holy Spirit say, get your hopes up, the Lord reminded me of that because I felt like he wanted to say to us, I'm sorry, I'm not coming in going, get your hopes up. Hopes, come here, hopey, get up. I feel the Lord is busting through doors and is like, get your hopes up. The world around you is wallowing in hopelessness. The people around us are reporting news that we are hopeless as a country. Our education is hopeless. Our health system is hopeless. Our politicians are hopeless. And the Lord says, it is in your job description to get your hopes up. If you don't carry the hope, who is going to carry it? The Father is here this morning, and he is here to resurrect hope in you today.
when I was praying for us in our community, I felt very specifically that in addition to what's going on for us as a country, as a people, there were also marriages in our community and you just feel like it's dead. And you've resigned yourself just to try and truck along and make it to the end. And the Lord says, get your hopes up. I also very specifically felt drawn to pray for people who work in our national health care system. The Lord is saying, get your hopes up. There are people who, when you were young, you received a calling from the Lord. You felt a sense of purpose. And for whatever reason in your journey, you are at a place now where you feel like it's too late for you. The Lord says it's time to get your hopes up. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We are going to respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing here today. And it's so obvious that he's doing so much because even when I came here this morning, I didn't even know that Luba was heading back to Ukraine. The Lord says, get your hopes up, Luba. Get your hopes up. If we, the people of God, can't believe and hope for better, for more, for the impossible, then things are hopeless. Will you stand with me this morning? If you are a leader in a tribe or a leader in any of our other ministries here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, I'm going to need you to be a part of the prayer team this morning. Would you come up here? Just make your way up. Tribe leaders, other leadership, make your way up. Come and just stand right here. The worship team are going to lead us in worship. Hope is radical. Hope is, it is powerful. Hope is the beginning of change. And there are people here who you know right now that the Lord wants to revive and resurrect dead hope in you. And the hope is so dead that you don't even feel any emotion right now while I'm talking. But you know that's what the Lord wants for you. While we worship, I want you to start to make your way up front. Let someone on the prayer team pray for you, pray over you. It's time to get your hopes up. Let's worship together.